Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Alchemy of Bits podcast with your host, Matt and Carlos. Carlos. That's me. I'm Carlos. You are Carlos. Uh, how was that? I think that was good. I think uh, we're, you know, it'll, it'll become more natural over time. I was attempting my best radio voice. Yeah, I don't even think you need a radio voice. I think you just be naturally met and you just, you know, welcome back the listeners to our podcast, which is, if you can't tell, that is what we've tried to do just now, be a little more buttoned up and formal with our intro. Welcome back to the Alchemy of Bits podcast. It's been a while since we've done one of these, Matt. Yeah, it has been. It's been like, what, three weeks now? Yes. Yes, it has. I've been traveling. I was traveling and I'm back home now. Obviously. Obviously. Uh, how was uh how was your travels? Uh travels are amazing. I was in Greece. Greece is a very cool country. Uh Athens is a very cool city. Even the touristy parts of Athens, which is mainly where I was, I thought was awesome. A lot of great restaurants. You know, I could eat. And I did eat um, Greek salad, souvlaki, baklava, basically every day. Sounds good. And the Acropolis, where the Parthenon is, very cool. The Acropolis Museum, I did both of those. Dude, Athens is the the cradle for Western civilization. You know, birthplace of democracy. A lot of English words come from Greek. So big influence on our culture in you know a lot of ways yeah i've always wanted to go there um and i should do a little more research on that so we can talk about the cradle to western civilization but i have a question for you since we always do these whoop check-ins and i know we're about to talk about it (laughs) they are a country that has like one of the highest life expectant expectancies have did you witness that there were there a lot of elderly folks was everyone fit what was your experience yeah so when i think about the people that i saw yes everyone seemed fit um you know i don't recall seeing a lot of elderly folk but that the 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 point of the the fact that they have high life expectancies does not surprise me considering the diet that they're eating and the lifestyle. I mean, there is, you know, uh, a lot of movement, a lot of walking, right? Um, I was also out in the islands. I, you know, in addition to Athens, I visited Paros and Mykonos, two islands that are both very cool, very different. I, you know, Mykonos is, I think is overrated personally. Um, and that's a different topic, but you know, a lot of Greeks, they get out to the islands during the summer. And I actually want to talk about that a little bit more during my put up a number segment. Um, but I think, you know, from getting out and going out to these islands, um, getting off the mainland for a lot of Greek people helps prolong life. I think it's very healthy for them to be, you know, going to the ocean, the sea, the Aegean sea, um, being active in that way. So 
but they also do smoke a lot as do a lot of european countries as do like almost all european countries it's like you know? warren buffett dude's like 99 and he eats cheeseburgers from mcdonald's every day and drinks coke yeah people are just built differently you know it's kind of amazing cool so uh what's up with your whoop strap how you doing i am doing well today i have an 84 percent recovery so i'm in the green nice you know i'm still marathon training so i ran 10 miles the other day two days ago to be exact uh that actually was my highest strain day ever i got up to 20.2 previously my highest strain day was 19.8 isn't so that for whatever the reason max? the max is 21 but you never see someone get to 21 i think you, you usually just see someone get to like 20 point, you know, seven, eight, nine. But if you're at 21, like you should just like lie down. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think that's the, the, the general rule of thumb, but I got up to like 20.2. I think it was, uh, running 10 miles in a very, like it was, it was not, it didn't feel hot, but it was actually very humid. So very low key humid day on Sunday here in, in New York city and got my 10 miles in as part of my marathon training. And it really, yeah, really, um, you know, got my strain up. And so that high strain, you know, two days, usually what happens is the next day your recovery score goes down because your body is recovering from that strain from that, you know, high, like strenuous day. And then the effects of it, the positive effects usually are felt two days later. And that's where I'm at today. Right. That's interesting. The 21 max, because suppose you woke up really early and you hit a very intense workout and you got the 20.4, but it's like 1030 in the morning. And then you went and took a six hour nap and then mm -hmm. you woke up and you smashed another workout of equal strain. Would they cap you at 21? That doesn't make sense. No, they still cap you at 21 for sure. I, I doubt you're going to hit, you're going to, I mean, yeah, you really should cut. Like if you're at 21 or 20.8 by 10, 3 AM, you take a six hour nap. You're almost like it's that's in this scenario. It sounds like you just like had like another night's, you know, sleep. You, you're getting ram and deep sleep in that six hours for sure. Right. It's not all just light sleep. So it's actually, yeah, it's a point. It's interesting. I that, I, would, that would add yeah. to the recovery. So, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, my anecdotal whoop score today is a ninety-six. I am on fire. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a cup of coffee, so hopefully that's coming through in my voice. I intend to have another cup of coffee as soon as we're done recording because coffee. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you, got, you got stuff to do today, Matt. Got yeah, a lot a lot. Stuff to so yeah, same. I've been wrapping up work projects because obviously baby's coming in a couple of days for any new listeners who don't know I'm having a baby in a few days and yeah, I'm going on paternity leave starting Monday. So just trying to finish up my work so I could be a good teammate, not leave anyone, you know, stranded with my stuff. And yeah, you're a good man burning the midnight oil. Um, cool. Well, 
I, you know, we both got stuff to do. So you want to get in, you want to move on to the next segment? The first, put up a number. Let's uh, do it. We got We both have a couple. I actually wrote down two. I don't know if I want to share both. Maybe I'll just save one for another date. Um, I'll, I'll just do the first one. I think that's worth talking about now. Yeah, let's uh, do it. All right. So my, I'll go first. My first, my put up a number today, 221%. Um, so this is a quote from an article on NPR about the Black Friday season last year. So I'm going to read this quote. Online sales for electronics spiked 221% on Black Friday compared to an average day in October 2022 with top sellers, including Apple MacBooks, watches, um, and this is according to Adobe. So I I bring this up because I was in Greece, I was traveling, uh, as we talked about, I was on the islands um, and I was thinking about the influx of people on those islands and thinking about the service industry. Cause you know, there's a lot of restaurants, hotels, a lot of, you know, Greeks, like, you know, people who are working in the service jobs who are only there during the high season, which is the summer. So seasonality, I was thinking about seasonality, right? Um, I was on Mykonos particularly. Matt, can you guess the, the population of Mykonos in the winter, non-high season? In the winter, non-high season. Mykonos is about the size of, I think it's like 86 square kilometers. It's like five times the size of Manhattan in terms of of the size of the island to give you some context for how big it is. So yeah, well, yes. I mean, I feel like this is one of those trick questions. It's five times the size of Manhattan, but I'm going to guess a very low population relative to the size. So, I'm Oh say, yeah. So it's absolutely not as dense as Manhattan. Maybe that was 400,000 people. The population of Mykonos in the winter. That's your guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the answer is it's not 4,000, it's 12,000. What? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Can you guess the number the, the number of people on the island during the high season? So like right now, July, August. 10x, I'll say 120,000. Okay, it's actually like 50,000. Okay. Uh, and thing that's mainly... Due to infrastructure, there aren't enough currently. There's I mean, a that's lot of development. Still a crazy increase. Like yes. more than three X. Yes. More than four X. More than four X, almost five X basically. Wow. Um so I was gonna say my point is is or you know, there the infrastructure on the island, right? It's not high rise buildings. There's actually not even any like building higher than like five stories. Um, it's all these hotels and villas on the beaches or like near the beach um, with pools and like a lot of yachts as well. A lot of like mega yachts, smaller yachts that are, you know, docked by the island. It's a scene, um, Mykonos. It's a very much a scene. My point in bringing all that up is like, yeah, there's seasonality here, right? There's like, there's obviously a time of year when you know that like, there's going to be an audience, right? That comes to wherever you are. In the case of Mykonos, that comes to the island 
and they're in a buying mindset because they're in vacation, right? So, you know, I, I think it's worth keeping in mind for anybody listening who is making money um, that like you got to know your audience and when they're in those buying mindsets. Black Friday, perfect example. We've all been trained as consumers that when November comes around, you know, right after Thanksgiving, you know, uh, oh, I got, you know, that deal to get that electronic, right? That big screen TV, that new MacBook computer, right? Like that's the time because it's going to be a sale. It may not even be a real sale. You know, it may just be like originally it was this price. They marked it up to that price and now it's back to this original price. But because you're in like, oh my gosh, it's a Black Friday deal. You're more likely to buy it. The conversion rates go up. You know, 220 221% was the spike in online sales for Black Friday compared to an average Friday just a month prior, right? So you got to capitalize on these moments. Uh, seasonality is different for every business. Like in Mykonos, seasonality is right now, high season, July, August. Right. I So, all right. So I have two questions here. First, do sales go down in October? Can businesses expect to have lower sales because consumers are expecting sick Black Friday deals? Do sales go down? I assume so. I mean, yes, right? Like when you tell people that a sale is coming, when people know, yeah, they're most likely going to wait to buy, right? Um, again, seasonality is 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 inevitable for a lot of industries. So, I mean, direct to directly answer your question. I don't have the data, but I assume so. And then seasonality-wise, for someone out there who's like, I'm going to start my business towards the end of the year when Black Friday is going to give me a massive influx of sales. If you were that person, what would you start? Well, first of all, I don't think I would start my company right around Black Friday. I think there's some kind, there's there's some momentum that you need to build, some credibility you need to build up. Um, so it, I think it's tough to launch because there's also going to be a lot of noise on Black Friday. From an email marketing perspective, you know, there's there's so many more. You get so many more emails in your inbox during the holiday period um, because brands want to stay top of mind. Um, so that, I mean, you know, I if don't. you're starting a company, you don't even have emails. You know, right. presumably, you don't like you. You got to build a base a little bit. How do you stand top- out then in a noisy inbox? It's Black Friday. I've just hired you as my email marketer, and I'm like, Yo, Carlos. Okay, now we're getting into Black Friday, Cyber Monday, email marketing strategy tips or topic. And to stand out, really, there's a lot. At the end of the day, it's volume. So I would just keep sending emails. Like there's no such thing as sending too many emails around that time period, right? Because there's going to be a lot to your inbox and like the consumers just expect it you probably just you know see a lot of like deals come through your inbox and you're just expecting it and then there's you know you you're familiar with checkout abandonment you're you're familiar with all these behavioral triggers well during black friday cyber monday i generally um recommend and execute doing like click abandonment so like 
triggers based off of like engagement. So beyond just the traditional, like, oh, I, you know, this person added something to their cart and they left it and I have their email and I'm going to email them. Okay. Well, if they clicked on something in my email that I sent, you know, the Monday before Black Friday, um, and then they click on something again. Basically, I'm just going to keep sending them, like they're going to be part of an engaged group that keeps getting emails, right? The frequency, the cadence can be determined beforehand. But like, I'm not afraid to send them too many emails if they show that they're engaged and they haven't converted yet, right? Like they're thinking about it, right? So like click, click abandonment. Um, the other thing I will quickly mention, the last thing, I used to do this a lot. I don't I think this is becoming more common thing, but it was relatively innovative like 10 years ago is like early Black Friday and Black Friday 2, early Cyber Monday, Cyber Monday 2. So Black Friday starts November 1st, you know? Black Friday starts like the four Fridays before that Friday after Thanksgiving. And so the same thing with Cyber Monday. You just extend the period. In fact, I, I've seen brands do, you know, Black Friday, July, you know, you're basically just like taking that seasonality, extending it. And you're also like making it a thing in July. It's like Christmas in July. You know, you've heard that. Yep. I, that's a thing. That's a great. So, yeah. So you're, you're, you're doing your best to like extend that buyer mindset to expand it to like, so that, you know, you're capturing as many conversions as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last point for me on this topic is I think it's interesting because there's such a big balance you have to strike there. Like if you're doing Black Friday and you're doing it uh, three weekends in November and you're doing Christmas in July and maybe you're trying to do another sale in, I don't know, Q1, so like February or March, soon you become you to me. Right. And then every product you sell is $10. And when you're not on a sale and the courses are $200, no one wants to buy from you. Right. Like, I'm just going to wait for the next sale. Right. You don't want to cheapen your brand and be known like as the sales comp, like a company that will just run a sale every other month. Yeah. That's actually oh. interesting. I wonder if we can, maybe I'll do this as my put up a number for a future episode, but I'll kind of want to dig into Udemy's uh, public documents. Okay. See how much revenue they do when they're not running sales. I've always wondered when their courses are $300, but I know if I wait a week, it'll be 10 bucks. I wonder how much revenue they're doing on those days. Yeah. So I think nobody wants to be known as cheap or like, you know, as lesser value than they, what they actually are. I think it's easy I'm first of all, I'm very interested to hear those numbers, Matt. The one thing I'll say in response to like that point is that it's easy to like look at the the viewpoint of the company from the perspective of like the most engaged power user, the champion of the brand. Like, oh my gosh, we're running so many sales. Like this per like everybody's gonna see us as the sales company, the company that always runs sales. Whereas like a lot of times new users or like new customers you know, like net new acquisition, net new conversions, they're just going to like see that sale for the first time and be like, oh, like they're running a sale. I should buy, you know? So it's, it's, it's something just to keep in mind. Like that's, a, that's what I would tell clients as well 
in my consulting business. And, you know, like while like it's easy to be like, oh, like I, you know, will see myself as this, like I, I, our brand is this. A lot of times, like people don't, not everyone cares enough to like think about the brand that way, or at least the ones that you're trying to capture. So there's a balance there. I agree. I agree. One hand, like you don't want to be cheap. You don't want to cheapen your value, your brand. At the same time, like it's a necessary evil to run these sales in specifically with seasonality, getting back to my original point with my number. Right. Yeah. Man, speaking of like alchemy of bits, right? Like that's one of the coolest things about selling online. You can use a sale to cast a net out into this ocean of people. And when you pull your net up, hopefully you've got a bunch of money in it. It's kind of cool. It's it's one of the most it's one of the beautiful things. That's why we're we're here talking today. Sell your bits. All right, cool. You ready to move on? What do you think? Yes, let's move on. I want to hear I want I, I want to hear your number. Put All up right. a number, Matt. All right, here's my number. I got to sit up for this one because I'm excited. Twenty two point nineteen billion dollars. Oh boy, yeah, it's a pretty big number. So that is the annual size of the death care market in the United States. The business of death. The business of death. So there is a fantastic quote, which Benjamin Franklin once said, and I want to read it for the listeners. Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can said be said to be certain except death and taxes. That's kind of that's a very very powerful quote. So even in the Constitution's most permanent state, it is still not as permanent as death and taxes. That is a, I think, commonly referred to quote. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't even know it was Benjamin Franklin. So thank you for enlightening me with that. But I have heard, I think we've all heard, you know, the two things that are inevitable are death and taxes or something like that. Right. 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 So 22 point, what was it? 22.19 billion. That is a huge number. Can you break that down for me? Like what is 22, 22 billion? Jeez. I know it's kind of crazy. Um, I think a lot of people don't even think about the death market because it's kind of like just something that happens to all of us. So you don't think of it as a business. It's like a, it's almost like a fee you have to pay to leave the world. It's a toll, you know? Um, as far as breaking it down, I'll give you a couple of stats, but I actually want to speak about this in detail. Maybe we could do like a 45 to an hour and a half podcast. I want to go really in depth into the death care market. So consider this segment a teaser. Maybe we will do this as a special episode for episode number 10. So I like big, nice round numbers. So maybe for number 10, we'll do a deep dive into the death care market. But let me break it down a little bit and maybe we could brainstorm some ideas here. So the death care market, like I said, is 22 billion as of 2022, which is last year. It's growing at about 6.13% compound annual growth rate and it's going to be at around 30 and a half billion by 2030 there's no reason 
it'll ever slow down. So it's a business that'll keep compounding, right? People got to die, unfortunately, unless we solve that issue. Topic for another podcast. <laughs> um, in the United States, so one thing I'm going to do in the future episode is break this down by all the possible services within this 22 billion number and where you can like enter the market. Um, but in the United States, there's 24 and a half thousand funeral homes. That's a pretty big number. 24 and a half thousand funeral homes. Yes. I would not have guessed that. No. I would have, I would have guessed less for sure. I honestly, when I looked that up, I was like, what? That's insane. I, I would have thought like 5,000 max. Do you know where the most are? I'd be curious to know that. I mean, the, probably for the deeper dive. I think the <laughs> facetious answer would be Florida. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe New York. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe for the deeper dive, I'll look that up. I'll, I'll leave a note of that. But um, yeah, what do you think about this market, man? How do you feel about selling to people who are thinking about death? I think, I mean... It's. I think it's unfortunate that families, when a family member passes away, that there's these added, that these there there, there are these costs to it. Um, it's almost like a debt that you have to pay because of someone's you know life is passing. It just feels like, in the con in in the context of the moment, you know, like you're grieving for this person, and then oh, there's all these bills. It, it, yeah. you know as as a like from a humane perspective that sucks human from a human perspective right uh, but when a baby is born as you will know here shortly there's also costs right from a capitalist perspective <sighs> yeah no. but um so yeah um yeah, i think if we get that if we talk address the elephant in the room dying sucks losing family <laughs> members sucks i don't think there's any I mean, unless you've had a horrible relationship with someone and you're like, all right, I'm glad that person's gone. 90% of the time, 99% of the time, you feel sad when someone goes. But I mean, it's inevitable. There's plenty of businesses around this, right? So there's like embalming and software. Like, So one thing I looked up to give you a little teaser into the future episode is like body tagging and tracking that through software. Like that's a thing. And I don't think people even realize that that kind of software exists to follow bodies as they go from like the hospital or wherever they passed and were tagged all the way through to the, you know, final resting place. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense that there's, Oh, how did they do it before this software? I, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know. I would imagine it's kind of like, Back in the day, if you have give birth to a child and they didn't tag the baby's foot or ankle, and then hopefully you went home with the right baby, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which doesn't didn't always happen, of course, too. Yeah, you're right. Um I yeah, this is a very fascinating topic. Um, I have so many thoughts and questions that I'll yeah. save for the deeper deeper dive. So I, I want to pitch something to you. Okay. And I got very, so first of all, when I looked this up, I was like, holy crap, there's probably a lot of opportunity here. I'm actually just curious to like what the net profit margin is to a funeral home. 
I think when I was doing the little research, I saw it was like 10 to 20%. So I was like, that's not bad profit margins, like 20% for a, you know, in-person service. But one thing I thought of was how do I want to die? I don't think not. All right. Sorry. Let me, let me back that up. Not how do I want to die? I meant, how do I want uh, my death care to be handled after I'm gone? And I think I'm going to plant a big flag in the ground here. I'm going to say that if the number is under 10% now of people who think about this today, long before they're gone, I'm going to bet in the next 50 years, the number is going to sway way towards greater than 50%. Wait, what do you mean? Who make plans for how their body is oh, handled okay. long yeah. before they've gone. And it got me thinking. Okay. There, I feel like the idea of funerals is kind of obviously there's like religious stuff and et cetera, et cetera, and respect to everyone's religion. A lot of cultural stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of cultural stuff. But for the people who aren't into that in general or don't have that stuff, the options seem to be cremation in a cold funeral home basement without any like wow factor to it. Like you just lived your whole life and nothing is really celebrated. You're just kind of pushed into this crematorium and your ashes are then handed over to your family for them to do whatever they want with. Um, and the other option is you're just buried in the ground or in a mausoleum, whatever. Right. But that's like the two main burial styles. From a business perspective, I wonder if there is opportunity here to introduce other burial styles to people who want to celebrate their life as opposed to just ride off into the sunset, if you will. What do you think about that? It's uh, extremely morbid, an extremely morbid topic, of course, this whole segment has been. But it's it's an interesting idea. I don't know. It's I feel a little weird capitalizing on death yeah so let, let me back it up i think capitalizing on it would be like to the person who doesn't have the finances to pay eight thousand dollars for a funeral right and then you're like well listen you got to pay us because we got to bury this body and what else are you going to do for so for those people i'm not talking about people in those circumstances where it's hard to get the money i'm talking about someone who is let's say a millionaire there's plenty of millionaires in the united states and they're thinking about all right how do i want to be buried right let me let me cut to the chase here's how i want to be buried carlos tell so, me how you want to be buried Matt. this is what i want i want to be set into a little boat on a river okay? <laughs> and i want to be pushed down the river in this boat and I want someone to shoot a flaming arrow into the sky as it whistles through the air, hits my boat, sets me ablaze, Viking movie style. Yeah, it's a Viking burial. And that's how I want to go. I think that's amazing. I think it's a cool summation of life. It is a fun way to go. It's less, you know, feel sad for me and more let's celebrate my life and death. What do you think about that? 
Um, if that's what you want, I respect that. Right. And so for the people out there who may want something a little more interesting when they go, I think there is an opportunity for that as an entrepreneur to sell those. <laughs> to How people much who... would you pay for that? How much would you pay for that? So, and now, that... obviously you're not paying, you're, well, you're putting money aside to do that. Right. Or paying upfront and paying it off over time. And that's where it's different than just being like, hey, here's what your loved one or relative has requested. Now send us 50 grand or else. Right. Well, how much would you pay for that service? How much would I pay? I mean, how much would you charge? Maybe that's a better question. How much would you charge? Right. How much would I charge to do that? I would say starting prices would be like 25K. Okay. The average funeral <laughs> right now is somewhere between six and 12K. Depending on the bells and whistles, it could be even more than that. So many questions. Do you expect that boat to like, do you expect like a professional archer to be able to shoot the arrow in? A hundred percent. We okay. can't have just your mother up there shooting arrows until she this- gets because that would be a mess. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Can you imagine the boat would just like go down the river? I mean, yeah. So on that topic, is this river like I feel like in the Viking days it's different. They didn't care what happens to the boat and the body. But like today, you're not just gonna like set set this, you know boat this little canoe with a body in it that's going to go up into flames on like the mississippi river or the connecticut river this would have to be has to be in an environment that you can kind of control what happens absolutely it has to be a controlled environment uh, so i would think anyone who was thinking about doing this would have to own the land that this water space is on um yeah it would have to be a controlled environment you would not like you said just launch a canoe into the Mississippi River and hope for the best. It seems like are you gonna is there a grave associated with this? Like Maybe. is there a place? Maybe. Because it seems like a lot to pay. If that's what you want, you pay it. But like for your relatives, your loved ones to come pay respects, I guess they go to the river, you know? Like where do they go? Yeah, well I mean it's the same thing with uh cremations today, right? Like They'll cremate a body and then they will give your ashes over to your family and some family yeah, members. That's fair. That's a good they'll, they'll be like, spread my ashes in the ocean, you know? And then people will still go there and mourn. So I think you can do both. I think you can have both a gravestone and the epic send-off. Cool. Controversial topic, right? Controversial, I think. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of reactions to this idea. I don't know. I, you know, again, I think you're very much this. This you're still capitalizing on death, but there is a huge market for death. Twenty-two billion. Um, this is the sound bites when we talk about spreading the podcast around on TikTok. This is the soundbite. This is the one that's going to get people talking. 
death taxes and black friday but yeah this is a controversial topic i am fully aware of that I, let, let me pitch another really out there idea just for fun this one's just oh boy let's hear it this one's a fun one so suppose we are in the year 2100 okay okay 80 years from we've now we've done plenty of back and forth missions to mars we have all that technology it's like it's commonplace today. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> and I preface that with someone out there going, this guy's fucking crazy. But wouldn't it be great if suppose I knew I was terminally ill, I was 90 years old, I had six months left or whatever, what have you. Launch me out into space in a little pod with enough food and water for couple of months and just let me go. I think that would be an awesome way to go. Just amongst the stars until either you pass from the time that has passed or you inevitably, your pod crashes into an asteroid and it's up in seconds. So. That is a crazy idea. I yeah, yeah. You do you, man. I don't know. I don't Yo, know. If I would th- but I mean, think about all the cool stuff you could see in your last moments of life. You know, just space, outer space, just outer space. Yeah, it's one way to go. That's one way to go. Anyway, I guess the idea here is controlled, personally chosen funerals. You know, not leaving the, and also I think this solves a big problem. It solves the problem of leaving your death care to your family. You know, you're paying for it up front. You mean? Well, I think forget the Viking funeral, forget the launching into space. I think if there's a better marketing push behind this industry in general, maybe you can get people paying for what they want as opposed to leaving the burden onto their family way ahead of time. Yeah. It's an interesting message. You know, most people want to spend their money on things that they can enjoy in the, when they're alive in the moment. I think it's hard to, it'd be challenging. It's interesting. Yeah. There's a, there's a way to do it for sure. One of the value propositions is, hey, don't let your family, like, you know, don't let your family worry about it. You pay for it up front. Sure. Right. But we, it, it would have to be done in a very clever TikTok-y marketing viral sensation kind of way. You know what I mean? Because I'm sure setting there's up, a- setting up a web page with like a little email capture that's like 1980s. Don't let your family worry about you after you go. Like that will never work. You'd have to have some viral pieces here. And I think in today's day and age with the way social media has evolved, that could work. But outside of the creative funerals, there is a whole other side to this market, which is the software that's required to run this entire space. The idea of gravestones, uh, caskets, cemeteries funeral homes 
when you think about each service along the way, it is a huge market uh, with a lot of opportunity, probably. Yeah, the market of death. 22 billion. Would you imagine yourself ever operating in this space? Or why or why not? Honestly, no, because I don't want to be thinking about death all the time. Seems like you have to be some, you have to be, you know, in a good mental space. You have to be mentally strong to like deal with uh, such a heavy topic, relatively speaking, on a daily, on a consistent basis. So I I personally would find it challenging. I think I don't know, maybe if I started actually doing it and like you know had very little options and this is what I needed to do, sure. But if given a choice, I don't know if I would die if that's the market I would address. Despite right. even, you know, despite the fact that there's 22 billion out there. Um yeah, that's totally fair. I do think markets, there is geez. something here where if some very clever entrepreneur came through and respun how we are taken care of after we after we die, it could help alleviate some of the depression that families experience around that. Yeah, sure. You know, flipping the mindset. Yeah. And I think that's worth talking about, you know, because... A lot of people go into depressions and et cetera, et cetera. And I know this is a business podcast, but I think that's a valuable problem to be not solved, but worked on. That's it. That's all I wanted to get across. You like the Pharaohs, you know, have a comfortable, amazing afterlife, you know, surrounded by gold. Or, you know, the Vikings and entering Valhalla, right? Yes. Um, yeah, these things are out, like these concepts, these ideas are out there. Um, the afterlife, right? Heaven, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, that being said, that's the end of my segment. Would you be interested in a deeper dive into the market itself, the breakdown of, you know, how much of this 22 billion is made up by software, how much of it is made up by, you know, in-person services, et cetera, et cetera. I'm interested. I definitely think we should dive into it. I'm curious to hear about this breakdown and where I want to hear examples. I want to hear about the stories of like companies that are doing this right now and how they're doing and like how they got there. I'm curious to know. I will share. Can I share one more thing about the market of death? Yeah, go ahead. I recently heard, so one of my favorite podcasts, non-business related is uh, called um, uh, No Such Thing as a Fish, which is a, a British podcast. These four people share, each share a fact um, and they talk about the fact and it gets pretty tangential. It's It's very funny. Highly recommend. Shout out to them. One of the facts that they shared recently in a recent episode was about how in the UK, I think it was in Britain particularly, in like the 1800s, I think it was, 
they the government mandated that every person be buried in wool. And the reason they mandated that is because the wool industry in the UK was struggling at the time. So basically they were like, oh, well, UK wool is not doing well. All right, let's mandate it that you have to be buried in it. So instead of like, I think it was like traditional like linens or like whatever. Yeah, I think that was part of the fact that they shared. You, you know, you would be buried in like family linens, like a linen that was, you know, from your mother's chest, right? Or something, not chest, physical chest, but like, you know, the, the, a furniture chest mm -hmm. um, that now it has to be wool. And like, obviously that did things for the economy. Did it rebound the wool market? Uh, I guess for a certain amount of time, it obviously didn't stick around for a long time. Honestly, I don't remember much of the fact that, other than that, uh, to be completely honest. I, I, I'll, you know what? I'll look it up and share it on the deeper dive. Okay, cool. Um, Let's do that. That can, that can be my one little con contribution. But yeah, when you first shared the fact that, that when you first shared the number, that fact came to mind. Yeah. All right. I think that's the pod. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> I was trying to think of something to end this pod on a lighter note. Uh, Don't be an afterthought in the afterlife. Ooh. Ooh. Death, taxes, and Black mm -hmm. Friday. Don't be an afterthought in the afterlife.com. That's not a website. Don't go there. Don't go there, but that could be. <laughs> All right. That's the pod. All right. Bye. Bye.